Hello and welcome to the Jungle Brothers Podcast. I am your host, Joey, and today my voice is extra raspy because I'm dealing with a cold. Now, this is not just any ordinary cold. This is worse than any cold you've ever had or anyone on this earth has ever had. And I want to let you know that I'm still getting it done. I am medicated. I am caffeinated. I'm working from home and things are looking bright at 11.28 in the morning. Now, today's chat was, this is from around a week ago, and this was with my physiotherapist, an excellent guy named Nick Batcher. Now, Nick has been my physio for many years, and I consider him a very valuable ally in my life. Now, for someone who's training, whether you're training in a contact sport or you're training in the gym or you're doing your thing, whatever it is, you're going to need someone that can work on your body. And Nick, for me, has always been someone that I trust, and I will turn to him when I do inevitably get those small injuries. Even when I've had large injuries like my knee reconstruction, Nick was the first guy that I spoke to. Now, uh, Nick is a physiotherapist. However, in the context of today's chat, I want you to think of, uh, I don't want you to think so much of the particular discipline, i.e. physiotherapy, as so much the thing. Because what I've learned over the years, and I guess what we try and hopefully what one of the takeaways from listening to today's chat is, is that it's not so much about the the particular discipline that this therapist represents. So physiotherapy is great, but I've also had great osteopaths, great chiropractors, uh, great myofascial workers, ART practitioners. And really, it's not so much about what it is that they're doing in terms of their uh, their official qualifications, but it's more the the approach that they take, the perspectives that they have and their life experience and how they translate that to their assessment and treatment of you. And so uh, something that we push a lot is that you need someone like a Nick in your life because whether you are competing in sports or you're just training in the gym or even if you're not really doing that much training, actually, you are going to get injured. Small injuries are a fact of life. We are constantly dealing with little things that pop up. And so when you have an ally like Nick on your side, that is the person that you can turn to to help remedy those things. Now, hopefully they're not big injuries. Hopefully they're just little ones. But in any case, you want to have a team or at least a partner there that you can turn to for help in those moments. So we sort of dive into that relationship today with Nick. We talk about his background as a rugby union player and how that has, I suppose, enriched his approach to physiotherapy. And for me as a jiu-jitsu guy, um, that is really important because he understands uh, training and having a love of a very physical sport. But we also go into some of the common things that you might have heard from your practitioner or therapist about your body and things that can perhaps scar you in a bad way. We're talking about inactive glutes. We're talking about an underactive core. Um, we're talking about excessive uh, hip rotation or uh, uh, hip tilt, little things that sort of get thrown around in the health space a little bit and that can end up having you think about your body in a particular way. And oftentimes they're just a bit of a throwaway comment that a health practitioner might make because one, maybe they don't know what the issue is or two, maybe they're just a little bit misguided in their judgment at that time. So really cool chat, very important. I hope you enjoy it. Um, and hey, while we're here, before we get into the episode, please help to support the show. If you could share this episode with a friend who you know would like it, or if you could take a screenshot of it and post it on your Instagram, or you can leave us a review on whichever platform you're listening to. Any of those three things go a really long way to helping to support what we do. Um, and that's awesome because one, it means that I can keep 
having these awesome chats and putting the show out for you. But two, it also means that we can keep getting awesome people like Nick to come and chat with me. So thank you. Please enjoy today's episode. Let's go. Mate, tell me about um, when you started with physio. Yeah. We are just talking about off air, we are talking about how personal trainers and, and you know, physios and, and whatnot, the people in this kind of realm, like to use the big words. Yeah. yeah. Talk, what were like some of the things that you were doing back then to try and flex your newfound knowledge? Because I'm guessing when you come out of college or whatever, you're still pretty green. Oh yeah, super green. Like I think like as a physio, when you look back on it like five years into it, you're like, Ooh, I don't know if I should have been doing that. Like you're never doing something like really bad, but you're like, I probably didn't like break down that client the way I should have, if that makes sense. And I reckon like the biggest like flex, as you put it, that you sort of do is like, you just use the terms, right? You use big terms or you overanalyze something. You try to make something that should be just as simple. Like, hey, we've just got to load your knee up into 15 different sort of exercises to load your knee up. It's like, hey, actually you might just get away with just squatting or like putting some elevation in your heels and just squatting down. Whereas I might get you to do 15 different variations of that squat to actually sort of go, hey, listen, I'm adding value to you. Like I've got all these tools in my toolbox, whereas sometimes you just need one tool rather than the 55 tools, if that makes sense. Dude, that's the exact same thing that PTs do. Like, you know, I, 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 I still have those programs on my computer, I'm sure because they were always in an epic spreadsheet that was like, I spent way too much time on. But it's all of the exercises all of the time and it's the tempos and it's the very specific rest periods and all that when what you said initially was, we just need to load your legs up a bit. Like it can be achieved in a, in a much more simple manner. A hundred percent. And like, yeah, I think it comes from not like, I think it's your desire to add value to them, right? Because as a PT, as a physio, right? It's a cost to come to us, right? Like for us anyway, it's like 90 bucks to come for a session. If you come to that session and I give you some advice, which is really important, you might not perceive that as the most important thing, even though it probably is. You see the value in like me giving you an exercise. It's like, okay, Nick gave me, again, I'll just use a squat. Like now, like I've already been doing the squat for the last week. Like what's my, what's my next progression? It's like, actually sometimes if it's only been a week, you only get to squat. But then for them, it's like, what's the value in coming here? Because like I've stayed on the same progression, if that makes sense. So as a, as a newbie, you go, all right, well, okay, we gave them a squat last week. We've got to give them something new. They need something new. Otherwise they're not going to come back next week because, you know, why would they come back just to get the same exercise again and again and again? Whereas sometimes it might be, hey, listen, you're only going to do the squat for this week. Come back in three weeks time. That's when we can actually progress you. So I think it's the desire to add value most of the time for people. I'm sure there's, you know, some other PTs and figures out there that also, you know, maybe don't know what sort of their next progression is. And especially that happens as you're younger. But I think... Hopefully it comes from a good heart most of the time when the, when the PTs and uh, personal trainers and whatever exercise physiologists are all doing that as well, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I think it does. It, it would always come from the right place generally. Yeah. Um, the, I, I feel like there is a global kind of thing with where that you hear coaches and stuff talking about. And when I say coaches, that's include everyone, yeah, everyone. you know, um, that as, as you get deeper into the job, your programs and your your method it just gets simpler and simpler because i think we all do that we like overcompensate in the beginning and then as you become more knowledgeable and more confident you're like 
actually we only need it like three exercises yeah. you know like in a couple warm-up and we're good kind of thing it's just um yeah it's it's funny because it's all it's a little bit disappointing too because you're like fuck i wish i knew that back then yeah oh, that, i think that goes for all like training physio whatever you want to sort of put it together because i think as time goes on physios and pts and exercise physiologists and chiros like we're sort of all melding towards the sort of one direction where it's like you know it should be for a physio anyway yeah maybe you need a little bit of soft tissue work but ultimately you've probably got to guide them through some sort of exercise strengthening based or mobility based program yeah um so i think that's all like converging that way and so as a result like the exercises are all sort of like converging and sort of as you get understanding more you realize okay yeah it's just simplicity that we need rather than sort of being over complicated with things if that makes sense yeah so, um i definitely agree with that what about like so a bit of context for folks you're my physio yeah i've been seeing you for i don't know it's been like when did you first come i reckon here? it's i reckon it's five years let's let's put it around five years we started. So did we, you come to the old gym or was yeah, it this gym? Yeah, we came to the old gym. So like that would have probably, been. Like, this has probably been six or seven. Yeah, I reckon that would have been around 2016. Okay. Give or take. So yeah, you know, COVID years, maybe six years, right? Yep, yep. Um, um, so I've been coming to see you since then. Do me a favor, bring the mic a bit closer yeah, to your head. Yeah, yeah. Um, the one, like one thing that I feel is very, uh, that I really like about your approach to fixing me yeah, so yeah. I'm only coming to you when I'm busted yeah, up yeah yeah to be honest the way it should be though right? <laughs> well yeah I suppose so yeah. is it or is there a thing of like hey if we stay ahead of this oh uh, like you know just like I reckon you don't necessarily need to come to a physio to do that right like you can do that with a personal trainer too right it's like, true it's kind of like your bulletproof stuff like it is not going to guarantee you you're not going to get injured in jits but if you do it does it make you a little bit more resilient got a bit more capacity to tolerate it Hundred percent. If you came to us and like, you know, you're like, oh, I'm just about to start a running program. Is there anything that I can do to sort of get myself ready? Hundred percent. Like, let's have a look and see if you've got look, good calf endurance, for an example. And if you've like got no calf endurance, maybe you're going to be more susceptible to an Achilles issue. So you can definitely do prehab. I don't think it's a hundred percent necessary, but there's no harm in it that way. And like, hopefully, as a physio, like if you do come in and we do that and we do the assessment, it's like you're good to go. Like. No exercise needers, um, jog on, so to speak. Jog on. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. But so on that, so yeah, one of the things I really like about your approach is that it's very training based. Yeah. So it's always like, oh yeah, here's the treatment that we're going to do today. But then, hey, let's get out on the floor and here are the exercises that you're going to run with for the next, you know, whatever period of time. And it's always, you know, and then you send it through and it's always pretty considerable. It's like, fuck, he wants me to do like these six or seven different things. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a program essentially. Yeah. Um, and... You train, obviously. People, can, you guys can't see, but great pipes on the man. <laughs> um, they don't come from massaging folks. Yeah. But so, what I here's my question for you: Is how do you view? And you know, we don't need to call anyone out or say yeah, names. Yeah, but yeah. how do you view physios and chiros and stuff who don't train? Oh, uh, don't partake in physical activity of some kind i think you're you're definitely able to to do it right like there's no doubt you don't have to be you know physically fit to be a physiotherapist you can still get an understanding that you know of like the how the injuries would be coming apart what the athlete needs to do or person to, to get better right like again to use like a calf or an achilles issue right like really common like achilles tendonitis or tendinopathy issue will be like you know hasn't been running for 
for who, how long, ever long, decides he wants to do a marathon, starts running, starts to get Achilles pain, you know, warms up into it, but then it's really sore the next morning. Like, he'll understand that sort of process because he's read it in the books and everything like that. But I think there's an added benefit to injuries when you've, like, been through them. So that might not necessarily be from training, but it might just be from, you know, you being a weekend warrior and then doing the exact same thing and going, oh, I've got a bit of an Achilles issue here. So you get an understanding of the injury and then in terms of like training and then, you know, being a physio in general, I think it just helps, right? Because like when you train, everyone picks up little niggles, right? Like everyone always jokes when you're a physio, like, oh, you must never be injured. Like the reality (laughs) is, yeah, we've still got an ego. I'm still going to get injured. I still want to get some ridiculous bench number that there's no reason or rhyme for me to get. Like I'm just getting it purely for my ego. And then my shoulder will be like, oh, shoulder's a bit tight today, but I did have to hit 120 on the bench today. So I'm going to hit it no matter what. So yeah. like we still have those processes and like, so you still go through them and you still pick up a niggle, but then you realize, hmm, I know why that happened. You sort of get an understanding of the injury, you rehab it yourself and you get like just an idea on how it sort of might how the rehab might progress and how you might get benefited from certain techniques, whether it be like a massage, whether it be just doing like a, some banded work or whether it might be rest as a whole. So I think you get an added layer of understanding of the injuries if you have either had an injury or if you train regularly as well. So I've been pretty, I say unlucky in my lack there of a footy career that I've had sort of like four or five surgeries. And I think I'm better at understanding people's knees because I went through a really big traumatic knee injury myself that took a good sort of like year to get better in terms of like my quad tendon and stuff like that. So I think as a benefit for that for me now is I understand like the process. And because I actually did a really crappy rehab job at the start, um, I was like just a new physio and stuff like that. So I was really focusing on the career um exercise sort of sort of fell by the wayside like i always trained but i just sort of like neglected doing some running neglected doing like the the knee extensions i needed to do to get my sort of knee better and as a result like i had this like chronic sort of like tendonitis in my tendon uh for probably like six months and just never really addressed it like hurt going up the stairs like classic sort of like symptoms and everything like that and then i sort of realized oh I've got to hold on here. I've got to actually sort of try to fix this. And it's quite a long slog when you sort of let it go, so to speak. And so going through that long slog where it probably took me a good like six months to get back to feeling, you know, up to 90, 95% now makes me it easier for me to chat to say, you, if you do your knee and go, hey, listen, man, like I know the knee's still sore. Like it's going to be sore for another three months. I understand it. I've been through it. And I think it really helps that way. So I don't think you necessarily need it, but it's an added added layer I think might be the best way to put it yeah so I I agree like when you present it like that I think it's a uh, like I'm yeah there's it's yeah you don't have to be in the trenches to to be able to help people who are yeah right um but I sort of I I ruminate on that and I and I think about this all the time because in jiu-jitsu we're constantly dealing with it you know we get a lot of people getting in touch now like oh I've done this what do you think I should do and it's always like have you, you know, do you have a good physio and have you been to see them? Oh, I went to see one, but I don't, I don't know if they're that good. I'm like, well, do they, you know, do they know what you do? Like, do they understand jiu-jitsu? Do they strengthen? And they're like, oh, no. Nah. Like, they think it's like karate or whatever. And yeah. you're like, and you're like, dude, that's tough because it's a very, it's like pretty gnarly sport and they don't quite get it. They probably think you're doing like forms and maybe yeah. some Taekwondo shit. <laughs> and it's like, but, but going back to my original point is that, when I when I go through all that, I'm like, it really 
as much as I, I agree that the people don't have to be in the trenches as well, I come back around to it's worth so much when they are yeah. that I almost see it as a prerequisite now. Yeah. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to get treated by someone who doesn't, who isn't working on their own physicality. They don't have to be doing the same shit as me. Yeah. But someone that's going through a training, a, a physical development process on a regular basis, because they're just not going to get certain, even cultural things. Like, yeah. well, why did you go for the 120 when you know you've got a bad shoulder? You're like, because motherfucker, it's 120. And I'm not, I only did 117 last week. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, like, you know yeah. that. You're like, Joey, look, I know why you yeah. fucking lifted the sandbag. But, but I told did, you, you know. But then I think it comes down to like your personal preference too, right? Like, because if I'm everyday Joe, wrong right. the name, right? Not on this no, show. No, no, yeah. <laughs> if I'm everyday John, so to speak, um, and like, I don't really care that much for training, then I might not see that as perceived value, right? And I'd rather have the guy that just- you're a point just, Yeah, but that might be the case, <laughs> right? We've got to take care of these point dexters too. But no, like I definitely think, and jujitsu is a great example of it, right? Like, cause jujitsu is like that classic case. And we see it all the time when someone comes in to see us and they've been like, I've been to see a physio, you know, they told me just to stop jujitsu. I was like, that's not the answer, right? Or the doctors are an even better one, right? Like someone goes in there, they banged up their knee, they go to see the, the local GP and he's like, so how'd you do it, Matt? Annika. Like, yeah, <laughs> I did it during jiu-jitsu. It's like, why are you doing jiu-jitsu? It's like, I like it. It's like, well, you should just stop it. It's like gonna cause you too many injuries. It's like, that's not the answer. And I think you've got to get an understanding and you've got to, so like I'd, I'd treat a lot of, obviously some jiu-jitsu guys, you've sent them uh, your, my way. Um, Adam, who I'm sure has probably been on the show. Has, yeah, uh, multiple times. Uh, uh, has sent a couple of his people my way, like, but I've never trained jiu-jitsu. But then I've actually sort of tried myself at least to go and get an understanding. So if I'm chatting to someone and they're telling me like, I've got a bit of a bung shoulder, I think this was actually you the other day, and someone had me in a Kimura, and then like, if I didn't know what a Kimura was, I need to go, what is that? Like, what is a Kimura? I can't just like gloss over that and go, okay, he's in a Kimura, like, and think he's, you know, essentially pushing his arm out in front of him when it's the opposite where he's getting his arm wrenched behind him, so to speak. Yeah. So I think you need to, in that aspect, even if I don't partake in jujitsu, I've got to get a level of understanding with it if I'm going to be able to treat them. And so like knees are probably the most common thing I reckon in jujitsu. So we obviously see a lot of knees. And so we'll often get people in their rehab doing some things that might necessarily not be for your knee. So like a common one is like, you get like a, a lateral knee injury, okay? So outside of your knee, you get sort of stretched during jujitsu. And so that's a really common injury. And like the rehab for that is a little bit of rest and just release some muscles around there. You gotta basically wait for it to settle down a little bit in most cases, if it's like a minor strain of that sort of lateral ligament. But then what you need to do is then expose that person back into the, uh, the movement, right? And that's probably things people don't do when they're thinking about rehab for like a knee like that, if they're not doing jujitsu, right? Like if a rugby player is coming in, I don't need to really sort of force him into what's called that varus force where you're sort of pushing the knee out, like trying to essentially push your, if you sort of had your legs crossed, pull one leg in and push your knee out the opposite way. But I'll often give them that sort of classic glute stretch if you sort of lie on your back, cross one leg over the top of it and just get you used to pushing your knee back and forth. And that's just about a graded exposure to the to the movement so your knee gets used to it and also to get their confidence back up there. But by no means is that a knee stretch, is it a knee exercise? It's purely a glute stretch. It only stretches your glute. But that's sort of, from my understanding of jujitsu and getting into a guard, you're often gonna be in that position. Yeah. So we've got to get you strong in that position. It's kind of like what the crux of your BJJ bulletproof is, right? Like you Absolutely. Know. So I think, 
again to sort of go back to the question about do you have to be a you know exercise like partake in the exercise i don't think you necessarily do but again like you've got to at least understand it like if you don't have the understanding i think that's like gonna you'll be you'll be shooting yourself in the foot and i think the other thing that you mentioned which is a little bit side bridge the cultural thing also is a big important part of it like in terms of like a physio as well like chain to a jujitsu guy like if you just tell them hey listen you've just got to rest for the next six weeks See ya, we're going to the next physio, right? Like yep. the reality is there's gotta be like a bit of a give and take in terms of for physios anyway. And that's that culture of like most of the time, if they're sort of especially if they're sort of in those higher belts, you guys are animals, slash you just love doing it and you're not gonna stop pretty much unless something rips or tears like completely off. So you've got to at least like guide them through it and say, Okay, hey, you can't play guard for the next little bit, but play the top game and practice in that. So like you give them something that goes, oh cool, I can just work on that for a little bit of time or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. I think um, when I think about you and, and like, uh, I, I think you come from a rugby background, right? Which yeah. we'll get into shortly, but I think that that really pays dividends for a jiu-jitsu player. Yeah. Because in a way there's a lot of similarities between you know, where it's just, it's like highly physical. Yeah. You're getting hit from whatever angle there's shit going on that you cannot used to predict. Being injured as well, right? Yeah, and and you you also and you also like you have that grit where it's like I, you just I'm fucking going for it. Like yeah. I'm chasing the ball. Yeah, I'm not thinking about my positioning or yeah, 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 my social. I'm just I'm it's task driven. Yeah, you know which is arguably any sport. Yeah, um, and jits is the same. It's like maybe you show up to training with a few injuries and stuff, but then you warm up. And then it's like, hey guys, we're rolling now. And then you're like, I'm going to war. Yeah, yeah. You know so. I think that that really pays dividends um, in terms of you being able to relate to grapplers. Yeah. Um, and, and, and you know, for like maybe if you had a, maybe if you played soccer, maybe not quite as much. Yeah. Like soccer is still very physical, but much less contact yeah. and in a different way, right? Yeah, it is definitely like, it's an added advantage down that path for like jujitsu guys. There's no doubt like when you chat to people and they go, oh, you play rugby, they're like, they're interested in that. So then they can sort of relate to you first, which is also a really important thing in physio. You've got to be able to relate to the person. Like if you're sitting in there and it feels like you're pulling teeth, they're probably actually not going to take in as much or, you know, think you're as competent as much. So there's a, this weird element in physio as well, where if you don't have that like cultural bond or something like that, even if you're the world's best physio, you know sort of exactly what they need to do. They might it might be in one ear, out the other for the other person. So you've also got to develop that bond. I guess it's the same as like PT as well, right? Like, you know, a lot of the time when you're sort of deep into the PT and you might have been seeing this person for two years, they're nearly like a friend, and you sort of keep going to them because not necessarily you necessarily need like the progressions or something. You just want someone to hold you accountable and someone that not necessarily to chat to, but just be there and enjoy your workouts with to a certain degree as well. So like yeah. you need that sort of connection, I think, to really get across what people, um, to get people better essentially. Like you don't a hundred percent need it, but boy, does it help. It's like for us as well, like when we, so we do a lot of like surgeries, who do your surgery, Dr. Bro, like he sends a lot of people our way if they don't have a physio um, and they live around us, they'll sort of, uh, he'll go, hey, this, these guys who I've done some work with, they're, semi-decent I'm sure he says something like that <laughs> but coming from him like when a surgeon sends you to a physio you sort of like they already think you're the bee's knees and they'll listen to you more if you've that been makes vouched sense for. yeah exactly you've been vouched for so um, I think like again, a friend of ours yeah exactly a friend of ours and like also like this guy's like decent enough I do the surgery he looks after you and then like there's less that sort of not selling but there is a part of selling in physio but you don't have to sell as much slash 
get that bond as much because they're going to go, okay, I'll listen to this guy because he knows what he's talking about already, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 That goes a long way. It's funny on that, like, you know, something like, so kind of what we're sort of discussing in a, in a yeah. roundabout way is some of the disconnect that can exist between client, physio, yeah. obviously client, trainer, client, doctor, yeah. you know, but then also like between the professions, like yeah. between a physio and, and like, like say that if I, if I need to send someone out, um, I, there's a couple of people I might send them to, but depending on what the, what they're, what they're dealing with, yeah. I'm going to be very specific about it. I'm yeah. going to feel very confident sending someone to you. Cause I'm like, Nick speaks my language. He speaks our language, go see yeah. him. Right. Um, but I, you know, the, the surgery one's really interesting. I remember, um, Dr. Pro obviously did my surgery. He was, he was great, but I remember there was another, and I think I told you this story. Yeah. It's worth mentioning again, though. There was a there's another preeminent big knee guy yeah, yeah. In, in Sydney, and um, my my partner's brother injured his knee uh, like skiing, I think. Yeah. And he like he doesn't he doesn't do uh, as far as I know he doesn't do any kind of training. Yeah. He's just a slim guy. Yeah. And is you know naturally in pretty good shape. Yeah. And goes skiing a couple times a year, and um, he injured his knee and he's like this thing's really sore and it was dragging on for a little while and he went to see the surgeon. Yeah, yeah. First thing he did was, uh, you know, I guess he got a referral from the doctor and then he went to see the surgeon. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, what's up? And the surgeon's like, oh, there's, you know, uh, you know maybe, I guess they did a scan or whatever. And he's like, yeah, there's a little, bit of, uh, a little bit of something here, irritation or a small tear or something. And he's like, it's not that bad. Like it all, you don't need surgery. And he's like, okay. And he asked him, um, to the, he asked the surgeon, should I do physio? And the surgeon said, no, no, physio is not going to help. And he was like, okay. And then, you know, we we're talking to him and, and he's like, oh, well, he said, you know, and I asked him, should I do physio? And he said, no, it's not gonna help. I'm like, the fuck? Like, yeah. you don't do anything. Yeah. Like, if, like, even if a physio just gives you bodyweight squats, like three sets yeah. of 10, f- a yeah, couple, you know, help, right? yeah. Like, I'm like, that's so fucking irresponsible. Like yeah. for that, for that surgeon to just be like, absolutely no view of the, the ongoing physical development and how that might help. Yeah. to maybe not even fix that injury, but prevent future ones. Oh, 100%. Like we've had issues with that, like in the past with like surgeons as well, where someone will get an actual surgery and they'll be like, don't bother about doing physio afterwards. And like, depending on like the injury, there might be not like a whole lot of benefit. Like we won't definitely be able to change it. Like a meniscus is a common one, right? Like not that they don't often say, don't do surgery after a meniscus, but say if you have a meniscus tear, as a physio, I'm not going to be able to treat your meniscus tear. The surgeon's right, right? Like I can't fix that meniscus tear. It doesn't have a great blood supply, so it's going to stay torn. But what we can do is get you stronger calves, stronger quads, stronger hamstrings, you know, get you looser around that knee, talk to you about things that might avoid irritate it, you know, how to avoid those things and get you strong in like weird and wonderful positions so you sort of knees used to that load and that's how we can help. And I think sometimes, yeah, surgeons like think, of course they're not going to be able to help. They can't like cut him open and like, fix that like that problem i fixed it yeah yeah but and then so they'll sort of like with your uh, brother-in-law i think you said like his case is like yeah they sure we can't fix it and then like the post-surgery cases like when they go oh again like i've already fixed it you don't need physio it's like i think everyone can benefit from doing some strengthening right like yeah like yeah sure again we might not make that a hundred percent better but if we can make his quality of life five percent better it depends on how much he values that quality of life like that's important right like I had someone actually in this morning and we're running through some tests and everything like that. And like one test was like a calf raise. Had to get out 30 calf raises, 30 single leg calf raises. There's a study on it basically saying that if you've got that, 
you've got good calf endurance, um, it's not going to be that that's contributing to your, your injury anyway. So did the 30 calf raises. He got them out. Like afterwards, he was like, phew, geez, that was, a, that was a killer. Like my calves are burning. I was like, I'd expect it to. You just did 30 calf raises. So he's like, so I never have to like, you know, strengthen my calves again. It's like, well, you can always strengthen your calves. Like just because you can do 30 doesn't mean you can't do 60 and your calves are even stronger, right? Like I'm just not going to give you this as an exercise. But like, yeah, you're strong enough in terms of what we want to achieve. But he was like, so should I just not do them? And I was like, it's up to you in all honesty, right? Like it depends like what you want to achieve. If you want to get stronger calves, you should do more. If you want to do like marathons, yeah, maybe there is some good evidence to do some more calf raises and stuff. And they were a runner and stuff like that. So I think it comes down to what you want to achieve um, in terms of well, like what, what you want to get out of it, right? Like, and if that yeah. back to the surgery is I want to improve my quality of life 10%, Maybe by doing, as you said, three sets of 10 squats is going to improve your quality of life because you're going to get stronger legs and you're, you're going to be a little bit better for it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the, the kind of the fundamental difference there that I see is that they're just like, with your example of the meniscus is like, yeah, the surgeon fixed the meniscus, like that's a really narrow view of that like isolated piece of the body. Yeah. But like everything works together. Yeah. And so let's say you're recovering from meniscus, a meniscus issue and you're not moving very well. Yeah. Well, your hips are going to have some issues because of that and your ankles are going to get a bit tight and you're going to lose muscle mass in yeah. the leg. So doing other shit is going to help you to like maintain a bit of mass and keep motion and stay lubricated and all those things. It's just such a, um, it's such an isolated view, which, yeah. you know, these days it seems so, it seems so uh, archaic. Touch, right? yeah. yeah, it's like, 100%. Man, like, you know, everyone knows this shit. Like yeah. moving helps. But I think also like the scary thing is, right? Like you're in this world, I'm in this world. Like I love to train, like I try to fix people, you know, sort of every day, so to speak. You love to train, you, you're helping people every day. So you, you forget though how much people don't know out there too, right? So mm. if your um, brother-in-law um, like didn't sort of understand and like has no sort of training background, he's just like, well, that's it. Like that's my knees just going to be this good. Like, and there's no ifs, ands or buts about it. Cause that's what the, the surgeon told me. But like, it's absolutely crazy. Sometimes when we're treating some people, like I might say as simple as like, Hey, just show me how you squat and you watch them squat. And you're like, I actually don't know how you function in life. Like <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking in my head that like in the nicest popular way, like just because they're not that way inclined athletically, but then they just like, they just don't know how to move. It's not that they don't know what a squat is. Everyone sort of knows like what a squat is. Like they've seen enough things that just or understand that someone said squat at some Hopefully, stage. Yeah. yeah. But like you just see them moving. It's like your movement patterns are just so like far out. Like how do you think like how do you get down and sit on the toilet like normally? Because if you can't move in those directions. So I think being in sort of the the bubble that we are, we forget that people don't under don't know that much and we don't realize how much power we have so going back to the surgeon like him saying you don't need physio is probably saying to that person as well you don't need to do any strength training you don't need to do any personal training you don't need to do any exercise your knee is where your knee is going to be just deal with it in life whereas as you said it's sort of so archaic and like so old school to say that like you need to sort of probably say to him like yeah like the the physio is not going to be able to sort of fix your meniscus if we keep using that as the example but they might be able to give you some exercises that strengthen up as you say the hips that have now sort of been a little bit tight or that quad now that's lost 20 percent of its of its mass because you haven't been using your leg and stuff like that so as you say archaic but like it's also hard to change 
change people's opinion and like if you are a surgeon you've been in the game for you know 50 years and stuff like that you sort of you sort of based off a little bit probably a little bit of the older stuff just like i'm sure there'll be a part and like we try not to as physios like that nearly time will start passing me by and it's hard to keep up with sort of all the the new stuff like you hope that doesn't become you you don't become like the dinosaur so to speak yeah but um yeah i'm sure like every profession has it right like you know if you're an accountant i'm sure like you start missing out on how to cook the books even better so to speak <laughs> i need a new accountant yeah mine doesn't cook the books at all yeah well mine's all right but i won't say who he is <laughs> <laughs> all the cooking of the books yeah it's a, it's a good point and i mean that the the information that's given to people by by any of those roles yeah. by physio by personal trainer yeah. by surgeon it's powerful information yeah. like it really influences them a lot yeah i mean I'm, I'm i'm dumbfounded sometimes that you know the conversations i might have with someone in a pt session yeah you know and and we'll end up talking about something that i'm so not qualified to fucking talk on yeah but they're like what do you what do you think you know and i'm like i think you should divorce them you know like <laughs> right away you know yeah, but yeah, it, yeah. but like you you end up at like and you can see that people are like because they're like well you've got it together like you yeah. know what do you reckon and it's like you came to me because i've got it together from a training perspective yeah, 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 like yeah, yeah. you know marital advice is not my not my that's right <laughs> uh, i think it's a you know personal trainers are classically sort of like um teased for that where they're like yeah. i saw a thing the other day where it was like classic things that personal trainers say and one of them was i'm not a nutrition coach but yeah right yeah, yeah. but but same shit like yeah. when the, when the fit when the surgeon says that that guy can go oh i don't need any of that stuff ever and he yeah. can carry that belief yeah forever 100 percent. like the the belief thing is amazing right like again to use examples of for like work for me and stuff like that like there's been plenty of times where like i've treated someone and they've had like a a back injury or something like that and they're like yeah so my disc is slipped the last physio or the the thing i told me that it's like well that's not true like your disc can't slip so like that is just like because it's such like a term that's been used for so long and i think sometimes as physios we fall back on those like terms like where you sort of say something like nearly like a disc is slipped and you're like oh i can't say that because that gives out like negative connotations like to if my disc is slipped never getting better like a back injury is a classic one like when people have had back injuries for or back pain let's call it for five ten years it's so hard to change those beliefs because they've been indoctrinated them for the last 10 years. Like if you want to change something you've been doing for 10 years, like it's hard to do, right? Like, so I think like you've, we've got to really watch out on like terminology as like physios and also as like trainers, but yeah, quite often like to, those beliefs are so hard to change and like people can get really stuffed up on, yeah, just being told like the wrong information. Like it's amazes me that still some people come to me and they're like, oh, I saw my doctor and he told me to just have bed rest for my back. It's like, that is like so long ago that that is. But in like doctor's defense, like I actually read a crazy stat the other day that it takes about 17 years for a new treatment to be considered, um, like to go through all the research and evidence on uh, and prove that it is like research and evidence-based a best practice. So 17 years, like, you know, what are we now? We're at 2022, 2022. Yeah. So that's like 2005, right? Like, is that right? My mask good there? Uh, no, yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it is. 2000, yeah. 2005, right? So someone in 2005 <laughs> just goes, I think knee extensions are okay for an ACL reconstruction. It's not till now, 17 years later that we can actually say with evidence this is what we this is what we need to do 
which is also like a really this is like a really weird part in physio where you want to stay on top of it and we sort of talked about not being a dinosaur and stuff like that but if you only stick to the evidence base like whatever's best evidence base you potentially are missing out on some things that are going to benefit you right like yeah and so you've got to take sort of antidotal evidence within reason like use your common sense meter you know the old sort of does it pass the pub test sort of thing and go okay that will be hopefully beneficial like for what's the pub test again Nah, pub test if we're sitting around the pub and i say you know i think jumping's bad for your knees like if everyone agrees that jumping's bad for the knees it passes the pub test because everyone's like yeah that makes sense yeah if you go jumping's bad for the knees and everyone goes Oh, I don't know about that. Like, that seems a bit ridiculous. A lot of people jump and don't get bad knees, then it's failed the pub test. Okay. Because, like, common sense tells us, no, oh, let's question what that person says. Yeah. Um, hopefully that was a good example. But... Um, <laughs> so on that, that's a really interesting point um, about the, the evidence-based piece yeah. versus the anecdotal stuff. Yeah. And, like, I know there's a lot of people out there that really pride themselves on only... I only follow evidence-based... Yeah stuff and so what you're saying is like well that yeah that, that's great but if you only follow that you're holding yourself back potentially because there's this 17 year yeah, lag between 100 something getting tested and, and a paper being you know whatever a meta yeah. study being released on it but in that regard then do like say as using a doctor as an example yeah. do they have an obligation to only follow evidence-based stuff or well, is it considered professional for them also to fall back on some of their opinions or their own personal experiences or anecdotal evidence? I don't know as a doctor. Like, it, yeah, I reckon it's over my pay grade understanding that because, like, I guess a doctor's not going to be able to go, oh, try this jug. There's no real evidence towards it yet, but we'll, we'll give it a shot. Like, I think on those extremes, it might be, like, sure. a little bit too much. But if it's, like, something like a, a general advice, I'm sure they're allowed to offer their sort of opinion on the matter within reason. I'm sure they just have to frame it that way as well, if that makes sense. But What about for you as a physio? Then? For me as a physio, I definitely do things that might not have full 100% evidence. Like a classic example is like massage, right? Like if you look at all the studies and literature on massage, like it doesn't have any sort of major benefits. So no like clear, like, yeah, if you massage the quad when the knee is sore, it will be better, all righty? But anecdotally, I've definitely seen where I might be treating someone, they, we get them to do a squat. It's like, my knee pain's five out of 10. And then you massage their, their quad, and then my knee pain's three out of 10. Whether that's some sort of psychological effect, or some sort of physiological effect, who knows? But it makes them feel better. And sometimes you need to make people feel better too. So I will do that as a form of treatment that will be you know, not really that evidence-based, but it's a part of it. And then like, I'll add in, okay, we know that if we strengthen your quads, your knee's gonna get better. So then there's evidence awards with it too. Yeah. Um, I heard your uh, podcast uh, the other week uh, with Justin Lang and he was talking about doing some like agility stuff and everything like that post ACL. Super important, what we think is super important, but also well within that sort of 17 year like sort of marker, like we weren't doing that with ACLs 10, 15 years ago. So it's all sort of new stuff, but it makes sense, right? It passes the pub trust. If you want to play rugby after you injure your knee, you should be able to sidestep. And we should probably train you sidestepping, like whether it be like a lateral hop or just a bound forwards or zigzag hops. Yep. We should train you in that way to sort of only go on like our data and sort of like the uh, the evidence would be like, okay, as long as we've got symmetry, as long as we've got symmetry in size, strength and a couple of other little markers, you should be fine. But it kind of doesn't like compute that you then wouldn't sort of do 
to zigzag running or something like that before you get back into to rugby, if that makes sense. So I think you've got to have this juggling act where you do some predominantly evidence-based, but then you've also got to maybe sprinkle in some things that make sense and that are specific to the person as well because the hardest thing on all these studies is, right, like they're not studying you, right? Like rarely will someone that's They fucking like, should. Yeah, maybe they should. Um, rarely will they study someone that's like probably super keen because you're not going to sign up to do one of these studies, right? No. Like if they're like, Joey, come in here after your ACL, we're going to get you only to do three sets of 10 leg extension because we want to see if that helps your knee. You're going to be like, I'm going to do 15 other things as well because I want my knee to be better, right? So yeah. they've got to test it in isolation to sort of make sure the study's good and like make sure the study's sort of valid and everything like that. Um, but like, so they're testing it on, again, average Johns, it might be different to you. So if you're doing knee extensions only, yeah, sure, it might make your knee better. But if you're doing knee extensions, squats, deadlifts, and everything else included, maybe that makes your knee better than better, if that makes sense. So yeah. I think that's always the hard thing with like studies as well. Like they're always tough like that. But I think you gotta have a mixture of evidence-based and non-evidence-based, but the not evidence-based has gotta make sense, right? Like if you're doing something weird and wonderful, like, you know, your day two on a, of a ACL reconstruction, you're like, well, I'm gonna get you jumping around and hopping on it. It's like, mm, that's dangerous. <laughs> like, that <laughs> yeah. doesn't pass the That evidence test. we, we yeah. can rely on. Yeah. Um, and like, I think for physios, again, because I'm in the world, so you see on like Instagram and all, all these other things, right? You see the extremes of all these things. So you see, as you said, like the practitioners that base themselves only on evidence. I only want to do evidence-based stuff. And that's all I'm going to sort of center around. If you are doing massage, you're robbing that person of some money. And then you've got the other person down the other end that goes, my hands are magical. All you need is my massage. <laughs> and so you've got these extremes and you've got to find it somewhere in the middle. Just like everything I reckon in life, and I've said this before to people, like I think we need the extremes, right? Okay, so like in politics, you probably need the far left and the far right, but the answer probably sits somewhere in the middle. And the same goes with training, with fitness, with physio. You know, you need the guys that are going to be vouching for evidence only. You probably need the guys that are still vouching for massage even though it doesn't have evidence. The answer, if you sort of probably combine these things in the middle, it's normally where the, the best things lie in everything, I reckon, anyway. Very smart, rational call right there. Let me just calibrate so we're on the same page. Liver King, is he in the middle? <laughs> I think he would be an extremist just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. I can't help talking about that guy. Yeah, moment. like, well, his marketing's working, right? Like, Fuck. I don't know if it's his. I think it's the brand that's behind. I think yeah, it's yeah, the company. I definitely think yeah. it's whoever's pushing the money and they're, yeah. they're probably giving him a script. <laughs> and I think all that, like, test and GHD is also helping. Oh, bro. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a, it's funny you mentioned the, uh, that thing about evidence-based. Uh, just today popped up on my Instagram, Justin Lang. Yeah. And, and Justin has been on the show before. He, uh, he and Nick, not that you two know each other, yeah. but uh, you guys were both very instrumental in my recovery from the ACL Rico. Yeah. And um, he came on the show, I don't know, 50 episodes ago or something. No, it was episode 100. There you go. Right. Yeah. What are we um, on today? 166. So I'm not a milestone person. Yeah, brother. Yeah. <laughs> We'll get you back on for 200, just so you feel. Um, but he, uh, he posted on Instagram today and he was just doing, uh, he was in his gym and he was doing like sit-up variations, kind of V-up sit-ups, holding a couple of light dumbbells and just like high rep stuff. Yeah. And uh, it, the post was, and you know, it was just like volume work. Yeah. And his post was, um, I've been influenced by some great coaches over the years. Four of those coaches, he mentioned a few names. One of them I recognize who's a, a boxing coach. Yeah. And he's like, 
all of those coaches had a strong, like really believed in conditioning training. And he said, while the research does, or the literature doesn't necessarily support conditioning as being important, I know from experience that it's something that helps to build like yeah. a tough, resilient body. And I was like, that's, that's really cool because it's kind of speaking to that where he's yeah, like, 100%. no one says we got to do high rep, high volume work. Like we talk about strength. We talk about sometimes range of motion. Yeah. We talk about plyometric ability or maximum effort. Yeah. But it's, and maybe muscular endurance. Yeah. But it's like the conditioning thing is just like work capacity. Yeah. And I just like that, that he was like, as, as science-based as he is, yeah. um, he's also like, I just know this shit works because we've done it in gyms yeah. and it makes tough people. Yeah, I think yeah. you've got to have that like innate sense and like, especially like down, cause he's obviously a little bit more exercise fears slash, you know, like high end sort of level, like back end of like the rehab training stuff. I know he does a lot of, you've got to pick up some like antidotal evidence and like case study stuff and go, okay, that worked for that person. It might not work for everyone, but I've got to like, I've got to take that on board, right? If you only took on the literature and didn't take on like the person that you see, like you're, you're missing out, right? Like it's too narrow-minded. You've got to sort of be open to sort of taking out every little bit from life or work or whatever you, whatever way you want to still think about it, I reckon. Like otherwise you just, yeah, I think you've been too narrow. Tell me about your, um, tell me about your athletic past. Tell me, I want to hear like about, you know, your, your athletic background, but then also get, tell me about the injuries. You mentioned six surgeries yeah something like that okay paint, so paint that picture for athletic us. athletic background slash lack thereof uh like multi-sport growing up like cricket running rugby like grew up on five acres with an older brother like the whole time we were just outside kicking a footy you know doing something essentially so Where? uh out of kenturst which is out like sort of dural windsor way most people don't know where kenturst is but like about Oh, probably now only about 50, 55 minutes from the city when I was there, like probably like oh, 90 minutes because like the M2 only came in and whatever year. So like it just took a while to get from Sydney all the way out to sort of where we were. But yeah, grew up on like five acres. So like semi-rural, like part of our road was a dirt road for the first probably five to seven years of my life. So like certainly not like country, country, but yeah, certainly different to, to city living. Um, and then after school ended up playing footy played footy till I was about 27 um, that's when I started my own practice it was just we're talking rugby union rugby union sorry rugby okay. union um, and then started my own practice at 27 and just too risky as a physio to to keep working at my own practice where it's just me and my wife is like sort of the the team if I did my shoulder I had to get surgery I can't work um, so you know, I don't know too many people that want to be massaged by the physio with his feet. And if they do, they go into the wrong physio. <laughs> um, but so, yeah, played rugby till I was about 27 in like, I guess you'd call it semi-professionally. So in, in Australia, there's obviously the Wallabies. Then there's the Waratahs. Then it's the level below that sort of what I got to. Um, so which is called the Shoot Shield here, which has like Eastwood, Randwick, uh, East Rugby, Sydney Uni for the people that live around here. Uh, so I played for Eastwood and... Yeah, I guess I was, a, I was a winger, so I sort of tried to stay away from the trouble. I found trouble too many times. Uh, I broke my foot twice if we're going to go down the injury front. Um, a weird little, well, technically it's not a broken foot. Technically it's a ligament, but I strained a ligament known as your Liz Frank ligament. Uh, ligament. Uh, it's basically a really important one in the middle of your foot and uh, basically holds like the midfoot together, if that makes sense. It's, we'll just go quick tangent. 
named Liz Frank after Napoleon. So remember Napoleon many, many moons ago. His uh, surgeon was, uh, was named Liz Frank. And essentially he discovered that this ligament got broken quite often when someone got shot, hit, fell off a horse and their foot got caught in the stirrup and mm. it snapped the ligament. And so the solution back in the day, chop off the front of your foot. So from front of your foot, just chop it off. That was the only solution. Because when it like goes this ligament, essentially you lose all stability in your foot and it's gonna become semi-obsolete. Like I couldn't do a calf raise, like physically couldn't do a calf raise when I broke this ligament because it was like just too hard and too painful. I just like chop physically couldn't. Of your that foot. was the solution back in the day. And so then you kind of just have a bit of a stump. Yeah, you just have a stump and you just get right on with on. life, you know? People are tougher back in the day. <laughs> so thankfully I wasn't around then, but yeah, I did that twice and you can either get surgery if it's bad enough and that's like a quite a long recovery. I was lucky enough, it was just like a non-weight bearing boot for like 12 weeks both times, which is, you know, you can imagine sort of the skinny leg I had afterwards. So yeah. that's, uh, they were nasty injuries, but like least no surgery at that stage. Um, and these are all sort of spattered throughout, you know, from being 18 to 27, I'd say. And then I ripped a tendon off my pinky finger, uh, making a tackle. This deserves me right for using my hands rather than my shoulder. <laughs> uh, and so that was like one of my first surgeries. Had to get the tendon reattached because basically what happens when you rip the sort of what's called the flexor tendon is if you sort of remember how people like mock uh, people when they're sipping a cup of tea and have their pinky pointed out, uh, essentially my pinky would always stay up. So if I made a fist, my pinky would stay up. I physically couldn't pull oh, it back wow. down because the tendon had ripped off. So they go in there and reattach it. Um, not too bad of a surgery, I guess, in the scheme of things. Yeah. My first injury would have been, well, I'm gonna, first bad injury anyway, I fractured and dislocated my wrist. That was a bit of a nasty one basically tackling someone from behind, grabbed their pants, pulled them down, they, they fell back on my wrist and Ooh. yeah, the bone lost in that, in that like, battle. Like that? Yeah, so like the wrist cocked back, they fell on sort of your palm, I guess the best way to put it, if that sort of makes sense to people listening in. And then sort of the, the part of my wrist near my, uh, near my hand just snapped. Uh, so that was a nasty one nasty one as well because you could see it yeah and i remember the physio at the time um i think i was studying at the time but anyway whether you're a physio or not you sort of see what's happening like my arm was like physically deformed like you could see the snapping it didn't break the skin or anything <laughs> like that the physio came running out and they're obviously trying to calm you i have looked at it and i'm like i'm in a fair bit of pain here and they're like don't worry like it doesn't look that bad and i remember just saying like Bullshit, like I can actually see my wrist, like it looks terrible. And anyway, so that was the wrist. Um, I then broke my thumb, uh, again, needed surgery, just in a bad place, unfortunately, for the break, sometimes that happens. Like it's obviously, you wanna have your thumbs. I think that's what they say separates us from the apes. But uh, uh, that was just like in a bad place. Like, again, it was at back in the season, so I didn't sort of miss too much time, but just missed the finals, which was annoying. But my biggest injury, which was another surgery, was I dislocated my kneecap and on the way back in, it fractured the base of my femur. And then it wow. also took away a little bit of the cartilage where the sort of femur is. And so with cartilage- How the fuck does it fracture the, f it comes back that, yeah, with that so much force. Yeah, so it came force. back in that much force. And just fractured what, like part of the end of the very yeah, end Yeah, so like it sort of have like a knobbly bit, I guess, way to put it. And yep. sort of fractured a little bit of that knobbly bit. And then what goes around the knobbly bit is like your cartilage, right? It's like kind of like a bit of your shock absorber there. Yep. Um, and so- I had chicken drumsticks for yeah, life. Yeah, so. 100%. Yep. And so then it like, it came off, but it was still attached. So like a bit of my, um, my cartilage was still attached. And so with that injury, um, I got a scan. It's like, oh, this is what it is. Um, and 
the solution was let's see if it reattaches because once you lose your cartilage they don't know how to grow it back hopefully in a couple of years they will be able to and i'll have a new cartilage down there or something like that but yep. essentially they they can't grow it back so it's like you want to try to preserve it if you can so i went in a, a straight legged brace which is super old school but needed to be done no weight bearing uh for eight weeks mm. and then so wait and see basically approach so you sort of stay off it for the eight weeks get the scan after eight weeks they're like oh sorry bro it snapped off. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. So then you go in there and I had to get surgery. Basically, they clean up the break and everything like that. They used to use a tactic called microfracture, which is where they drill into that cartilage area and they hoped that promoted some cartilage growth. Didn't sort of really happen for me, but as a result of that surgery, it was another eight weeks of non-weight bearing. Oh. So I end up with 16 weeks of like legitimately not putting my foot on the, on the ground, you know, be it a sort of accident or something like that uh, and that was the biggest injury for me because 16 weeks as you could imagine not using something like your quad my quad was the size of my wrist essentially by the end of it and then that was the one that going back long story to the start of the pod like that was the rehab that I didn't do that well because I just started my physio career like things just fell to the wayside it was at the end of the footy season so it was the week before the grand final I missed the grand final that we ended up winning unfortunately again again um but that's it is what it is that's footy um and yeah so then i had like as i said earlier on like chronic problems from it so did you say that was the grand final you guys won so that was in 2014 so played all the year missed the final game basically missed the grand final and the team won the team won it was the uh first win since uh, actually it wasn't too many years i think like four or five years but it was a good it would have been a good win to be a part of it. and you never feel a part of it right like after the grand final um my brother actually who also played with me in that team he got injured uh two weeks before so we both missed the grand final um and like you know you're in there celebrating at the end and you just don't feel a part of it like, like yeah even though you played all whatever you know 20 odd games beforehand you just never get that sort of joy of winning the actual the big day whereas conversely the following year from that injury i didn't play for the first eight or ten weeks come back in two weeks into it i did that one of those foot fractures that i saw one of those foot ligaments that i was talking about so then another sort of 10 weeks off so like it was like four or five round games left i'm coming back through third grade i played like two games through third grade and then just so happened luck was on my side this time not so lucky for the other guys in first grade the guy that took my spot last year when i sort of got injured he ends up getting injured and so i get booted in from thirds up into first grade for the for the final series end up playing the final series we end up winning again so we went back to back um i only played three or four games in first grade maybe that year i think maybe the first game and then like you know the final three games but felt more a part of winning that title <laughs> even though i didn't play as much but yeah long story short there's like long rehab on on that one but that was probably the worst and that's that's my footy career pretty much we did i did do another little stint in um in uh san diego in america oh yeah um in oh, i think i want to say it's 2016 or 2015 um basically my brother was a professional footy player he got sort of um scouted for lack of a better word to sort of help out with this club it wasn't like a professional setup my brother's older than me by three and a half years so he was finishing up his career anyway and everything like that and they're like hey would you like to come over here sort of like help out like help out with like a little bit of the coaching obviously be here and play and everything like that and just help sort of develop the game um and he's like yeah that sounds sweet do you mind if i bring my brother so i ended up sort of tagging along i won't say it was because of anything i did but yeah spent sort of 
six months over in uh, San Diego uh, playing over there, which was really cool because, like, we'd fly up to uh, San Francisco, across to Denver and stuff like that. So it was a really cool experience. Cool. Yeah, so that that is the degree of my non-professional football career. Which part of San Diego were you living in? We're in Pacific Beach, so which is like... I lived in PB for a while. There you go. Yeah, Lay yeah. back. There you go. I can't believe we've never talked that you lived in PB. How funny. Yeah, I spent, I think I lived there for about three months. Yeah, okay. Whereabouts in PB? Were you more towards Mission Beach or more in Pacific Beach? I was right in Pacific Beach. Yeah, okay. Um, the, you know, so it's kind of all streets that come back off the beach, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, All I can remember, I, I was about four blocks back from the beach. Yeah. And there was a, uh, there was a park there was a big sort of park with, yeah. I think it had a library in the middle of it. Yeah, okay. And I was a street back from that. Yeah, okay. And um, it was an awesome stage of life. Yeah, like... What a, what a cool part of town to live yeah, in. Yeah, 100%. They're so laid back. Like, you're walking around there, like, on a Wednesday, and, like, there's so many people aged, like, 25 to, like, 40 that are, like, walking around. You're like, what is everyone doing with yeah, their Yeah, drinking life? beers, hanging <laughs> out in the sun. 100%. Yeah, I felt like I, I felt like there. I mean, you obviously view it through different a different lens because yeah. you're overseas and stuff. Yeah. But I felt like there, that was what... Because in San Diego, I met a lot of people who were from other parts of America. Yeah. Met other, you know, people from other countries too. But there's like a lot of, oh, I'm from, from Chicago or whatever, but me and my buddies moved here because fuck, how good's the lifestyle sort yeah. of thing. And I felt like the, the culture there was what people in Bondi and stuff want to have. Yeah. Like I lived in Bondi for a long time and, and you know, it was awesome. But it's it, it's kind of laid back, but not really. Yeah. Like everyone's pretty fucking stressed out because yeah. it's still big city. Yeah. Everyone's chasing still tons the dollar. Of people, right? Yeah. Like and and it's it's like fucking heavy traffic and all that. Whereas in like San Diego, I remember you would be walking past someone's house on a weekday, and they might be having a barbecue and some beers, and they'll be like, "Hey man, what's going on? Like, come and have a beer, kind of yeah. thing." And you'd go, you'd cruise up and they'd be like, "Hey man, what's up? We oh, I live up the road. Oh, cool yeah. man, welcome." Hey, where's that accent from? Yeah, like, as soon as the accent, I was about to say that. As yeah. soon as the accent comes out, it's like doors open up. Yeah, but you're like that, like just that, like people being that open and relaxed. Yeah. You don't find that in Sydney. No, nah, no way. Like that was like such a different lifestyle. And I reckon you hit the nail on the head. It's what sort of like Bondi wants to be, but it's just too big of a city and too many people there now. Whereas Pacific Beach is still small. If you go into actual San Diego, it's like it starts to get into more hectic and everything like that. But uh, yeah. yeah, Pacific slash Mission, because we're right on the borderline of Mission Beach there essentially the same place you know yep. um but it was yeah it was certainly like a laid-back different lifestyle and i wasn't working at the time as well so we sort of got all the benefits of like not working as well like we were the laziest people in the world for six amazing months. yeah it was a good it was a good six months that's for sure so that footy career then uh what did you say 18 to 27 yeah 18 to 27 Ish. outside of school let's say like you're obviously playing like i think i started when i was like eight or something like that so you're almost dealing with kind of one major injury every year is that kind of how, how yeah, it worked out? I, yeah, I sort of just like hit a bit of bad luck. Like I, I had a couple of like hammy issues when I was younger um, yeah. and like a bit of a back issue from being a fast bowler in cricket, which now looking back on it, it's like, oh, the hammy and the back are probably related at the time. Physios were treating them totally separately. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think like from about 18 to 27, I wouldn't say every year, but like a fair chunk of the years I was picking up like a break or something like that a little bit of bad luck and i think sometimes it just comes down to bad luck you know you hear these players in professional sport that's like that guy's injury prone i think there's there's some sort of i'm sure in 
100 years time we'll be able to realize oh that person was missing you know dna strand number 152 that's why he kept tearing his acl like no matter how much like rehab he did he's going to tear his acl like there's definitely yeah. and like i use the acl as an example because there's a couple of like rugby league players I think his name was Tattoo Morgan. He might still be playing, but like he was like the next big thing outside back, big Polynesian sort of like center um, and like ACL when he's 18 and like does all the rehab. ACL again when he was like, I don't know the exact age, but let's say he was 20 or something. And ACL again, like went through like three or four ACLs. I had a guy I played footy with that like played Australian schoolboys and everything like that, went through the same thing. Like did his ACL like three times and like he was diligent with his rehab too, right? So it's not... It wasn't like, I don't want to say it wasn't his fault. It wasn't his fault. Like he tried his best, but I think there'll be a time where you realize, oh, these injury prone people, yes, they are unlucky, but there's also, yeah, they're missing something, so to speak, if that makes sense. It like, does. I, I think, I can't remember where I heard the story, if it was a, a Justin Lang tale or a Clint Hill, but it was of some footballer who, you know, had, had like played a fucking bunch and then was walking out onto the pitch for a training session and stepped and tore his Achilles, tore his Achilles as he stepped yeah, yeah. and then naturally stepped onto his other leg and tore that Achilles. Well, that's a good one. It was like right leg, left leg. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, ah, oh. and then like, and they're like, how do you explain that? Yeah. Like that, you know, you could argue, oh, maybe he tore it kind of most of the way in the training session the day yeah. before and it was hanging on by a thread, but it's like not on both legs. Yeah. Like, and that it just, yeah. And there was no force, there's no pressure. It's almost like it's a it's a neurological like yeah fuck it, out or yeah, so, you, you know. just don't know right like and I think that's the thing we always want to have answers but we don't know know for that on that sort of like double tear thing you know I guess this won't make me a closet fan anymore but I'm a closet wrestling fan like WWE wrestling fan so the opposite <laughs> of what you're sort of talking <laughs> are about. you yeah amazing um, and so if you want to watch a, a good like clip on someone doing that Vince McMahon who was like the owner of uh, oh yeah the big guy uh, yeah, that yeah. was wearing the suit yeah yeah 100% so like you know, he's a billionaire um, there's like a he was doing like there was this pay-per-view and he ran runs down the runs down the ramp and supposed to get into the ring on the way running down the ramp tears his quad like tears his quad tendon now this guy was 60 odd let's say 50 odd and like had clearly been juicing he's a huge guy yeah, yeah. okay so too big for me to be natural anyway tears his quad um sort of semi stumbles gets in the ring like slides into the ring goes to stand up tears his other quad <laughs> so it's a great film clip of like seeing someone just tear his quad get up stand up tear his quad and then he's just like sitting on his backside unable to stand because both his quad tendons are like torn but the show must go on right Still in these sort of things thing. so like he's got the microphone and he's sort of like cutting what they call a promo like you know speaking out like as if nothing happened and they sort of like <laughs> drag him off the stage right so, to speak. so that's a that's a good image man uh, tell me what uh, what is it that attracts you to to that style of wrestling? Uh, I reckon like we grew up with it as kids, so it's definitely like somewhat of a nostalgia thing. I reckon go back to when we were you know five or six, and you're seeing like the Hulk Hogan's of the world, you know the bigger than larger than life characters. You know they're six foot six, so you know two meters. 300 pounds, so 140 kilos. They're just like larger than life, and they're like huge jack dudes, and you're like. I want to be that guy. Yep. Yeah. I'm going <laughs> to say my prayers, eat my vitamins and, and do my weights. I'm sure that's all Hulk's doing. He's not doing anything else, is he? <laughs> no, yeah. Um, so I think you just get like attracted to, I think that's what stood out originally. And then like nowadays why I watch it, I don't know. It's just like what I, like I don't mind doing. It's like an escape. It's like a soap opera, right? Like yep. at no stage do I think 
you know, the current day wrestlers, whoever they may be, let's use John Cena as like a well-known example. Like he's not going into the UFC and winning a fight. Like I've got no, <laughs> no. Hey, Brock Lesnar did it. Yeah, he's an exception to the rule, <laughs> yeah, right? CM Punk did the exact opposite and went to it. He got fucked two, up, right? yeah. Um, but yeah, like he's a definite exception to the rule. So most of them, they're just great athletes, right? Yeah. And so I think I like physical watching specimens. The, yeah, I like watching that. But I reckon what normally originally attracted me is the fact they were physical specimens, and like I want to be like him. Yeah. Okay. And you probably don't realize that, like back then, like the storylines are actually what sort of makes you sort of really sort of keep engaged into it back then. Yeah. And then nowadays, I, I don't watch it every weekend. I watch like the big events and stuff like that. And now it's more of like nearly watching like a, a gymnastic performance to a certain degree. You watch the matches and you're just like, oh my God, that guy just did a 450 splash, like as in like rotated 450 degrees. It's like that guy is hell athletic and stuff like that. So yeah, right. I'm probably not as into the storylines just because I don't keep up with it as much anymore. But I reckon it was like the sport access a aspect, I should say. And yeah, the that's probably why I started doing weights in all honesty. Me and my brother, like, you know, watching them, it's like, I want to be like that guy. Like I want to... I want to bench that weight, so to speak. I want those big pecs. Have you uh, have you seen the documentary? Um, is it bigger, faster, stronger? Yeah, definitely. It's a while ago though, so they talk. I think because it's the one of the brothers was yeah, a, smelly, yeah. one of the one of the Bell brothers. Yeah, I don't think it was Smelly that Smelly Mark. Smelly's Mark. Okay, and he wasn't the wrestler. One of the other brothers. Is little chubby one yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a but i remember yeah he was it, a lot of the premise of that was like when i grew up we, we loved hulk hogan and we yeah. idolized him and and it was you know that was kind of the premise of like we idolized the big pecs and the six pack yeah yeah 100%. and then we you know and then when we were adults we found out it's because they're all juicing yeah but, yeah 100%. but all that aside okay i can when you put it i've never understood it yeah but when you put it in that way i can totally understand it i see it's kind of, i'm a big ufc fan yeah, yeah, yeah. and you know mma in general and it's very much similar. The the nature of the sport is different, yeah, yeah, yeah. but a lot of what's entertaining about it is these backstories of the fighters yeah. and the prep and all that. And it's just it's just a story. So in the case of MMA, it's generally um, not fictional. Yeah. But WWE, it is. But it almost doesn't matter, right? It's just yeah. it's well, entertainment. There's a reason why Conor McGregor is the highest seller, and it's like in terms of pay per views, it's yeah. not because he is the prettiest fighter or the best fighter in the world at the moment. Far be from it, right? Like, yeah, you know, his time as sort of being the the top contender is probably unfortunately done for him. But like, he's still selling pay per views because he gets some emotion out of you, right? Because he's, he's selling, yeah, he's entertaining, right? And like, whether you're on that bandwagon of, you know, most of the Irish people that are absolutely loving him and following him no matter no matter what he does, or, you know, you're sick of his sort of more recent escapades and you're like, I want to see that guy and they get knocked out, you buy the pay-per-view to to watch that, right? Like, yeah. and so that's what sort of like wrestling is. You you watch it because you want to see that guy lose, even though you know it's fake, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, you know eventually the bad guy's going to lose. There's rarely a story in wrestling where the the bad guy doesn't lose at the end of it. Just Is like that right? Like, oh, they, they, it kind of gives you what you want most yeah, of the time. At some stage, at some right. stage, it's got it right. Yeah. Um, but like, yeah, I think it's personality sell in wrestling and personality sell in the UFC too, right? And that's why I like watching the UFC too. Like. I don't really watch every card, but I'll watch the cards when there's someone that's a personality or someone that's like sort of like transcending the sport. Like I watched the Nunez fight like the other yeah. week, right? Like Oof. because she is like such an animal and it's not necessarily her personality, but it's the fact that she has been so unbeatable 
then lost. I didn't watch her losing because I was like, yeah, she's going to win. Yeah, she'll come um, back. And then, oh, right. Yeah, you thought she'd yeah, win. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when she came back, obviously, and like hellacious fight, the recent one. You see that look she gets in her eyes? Yeah, she's it's, scary. It's right? like she's just, she loves, like she loves to fight. Yeah, she's like, she it's wants like to a, be a it's lioness. It's like glee. Right? Like, she, like she, she identifies as that, right? Yeah, it's this fucking scary expression. Yeah, 100%. She's just like stalking Pena. Yeah. And I mean, Pena did, pretty good in that second fight but I, I think she was exposed as just not being as yeah. equipped as what Nunes is yeah 100% like and I don't know the nuances because I'm not in sort of like combat sport as much but you can just so you can sort of also see those sort of things I reckon a lot of the time like if you watch it enough you sort of just go yeah she's just the step behind at this sort of stage right Pen, yeah Pena's real awkward mover yeah like her punches her kicks it all looks very that sometimes stiff. works right for some people like sometimes you see those like people that like have weird and wonderful styles and then because they're so weird and wonderful they end up sort of being good it's true it's true because yeah in like all sort of like sports to a certain degree like go go australian hearing like with cricket like there's like steve smith and uh marcus lamachet at the moment like who have the weirdest batting style that no one would ever take technically tell but they've got this like weird quirky setup but they they benefit from it because i think whether it puts them off or it's just their like sort of way that they've developed their game and they understand how they move and stuff like that as a result sometimes the awkward styles work right yeah okay unconventional yeah and i think there should be an element like to go back onto sort of how we sort of started the conversation on like training people with that like you don't have to be a hundred percent like symmetrical like sure you don't want to squat and like move your hips all the way to the left or something like that but if you've got some like little quirky thing that you've been doing for 20 years probably not the reason for your knee pain because you've been doing it every sort of time and i think sometimes in you know to go roundabout on physio on it like we sometimes pigeonhole and training people in general like we pigeonhole like you have to do things this way the reality is like the human body is so adaptable right you get used to you know doing things differently i'm sure the way you practice jiu-jitsu right like you're not always like lopsided yeah 100 right like you you go to a, a dominant side into dominant moves right like there's no 100 right way and wrong way to do things there's definitely like unsafe ways but you know in sort of in sort of training there's like unsafe ways and then there's like what you sort of you're used to and like probably the way you should do it within reason and then for sport i reckon there's who knows what will what will happen if you sort of got a bit of a weird style again as long as it's not too counterproductive as long as like ufc sort of thinking about it in ufc terms as long as it's not forcing you to expend too much extra energy that's going to cost you later on in the fight maybe your weird style will help people right tell me about um you mentioned before that the the slipped disc is like a is bullshit yeah um tell me about that like i want to pick a couple of terms here yeah, is i it reckon like that came about from like sometimes it's just easier to try to explain things in layman's terms to say something like that to someone like you know because everyone understands it right so like the easy out instead of saying hey your disc is like bulging a little bit um what that ultimately means and go into like a long explanation you just go you've got a slip disc and the person goes i know what a slip disc is i always hear about that yeah Yeah. it's slipped out and it's like the reality if your disc is slipped out you're probably in a wheelchair so you know it just doesn't happen but um and then what we've sort of found is physio and they've done studies on this about like back pain and stuff like that the terminology is actually really important because if you hear that you've got a slip disc you think my back's 
my back's stuffed, like it's it's gone. Um, death sentence. Yeah, hundred percent a death sentence. Whereas the reality is that back pain is probably like multifactorial. Yeah, maybe having a small disc bulge is adding to that, but maybe it's also the fact that your left hip's really tight or your hamstrings are super tight as well. So it's rarely, unless you've got a disc that's like pushing on a nerve really strongly, it's rarely going to be just one sort of factor. In most cases, yep. not all cases, of course. Um, so I think it's easy for you to say a slip disc because then they understand it. The reality is it's a lot more complicated, if that makes sense. So I think it's just an easy out that people that people use rather than malice. But what I did want to say, which I took off topic, like they did a study on it and they found out that actually your, your verbiage is really important. And so instead of saying you've got a slip disc, if it's like a multifactorial thing, you should actually say you've got nonspecific lower back pain, which some people laugh at, right? Like... What do you mean? Like non-specific lower back pain. Give me an actual diagnosis. I want to identify with my injury essentially. Yeah. But the reality is... But no, I'm not going to let you attach it to yeah, exactly. this visual thing. Yeah, exactly. Saying you've got non-specific lower back pain. You go, listen, you essentially saying to them, you've got a little bit of back pain. There's tons of things you've got to work on and it might make them go, oh, okay, so my back isn't that bad. All right? So That's um, interesting. A lot of the time with something like a back pain, right? Like someone will come in with me with a scan and they've got like a disc bulge and quite often in like disc bulge terms it will say like mild moderate or severe so let's say mild to bottom 33 percent the next one's the next 33 percent and severe is like top 33 percent if it's severe yeah you're probably dealing with something that's really disc related if it's mild i reckon if we scanned your back if we scan my back we're gonna have disc bulges it's it's like a ridiculous stat i don't know it off the top of my head but it's like 30 percent of 30 year olds have a disc bulge or something like right. that so like it's so common and we used to think it was uh, not a normal part of aging but I think the reality is it's, it's a normal part of aging and also we've realised these disc bulge and then they unbulge so I get my scan huh. today got a disc bulge they don't unbulge and bulge like overnight so to speak but like doing some good rehab nine months later I might get a scan not bulged at all Right. so like labelling people with a slip disc might then for the next 10 years they identify that and they're the people that I see like oh I saw another physio the other you know when this first happened and I've got a slip disc it's like you had a you know a disc bulge probably but you might not have a disc bulge anymore and it's like I think it's like really powerful to the words are really powerful I should say yeah yeah that 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 seems really important to me too and it's not something that I that you know we're particularly um cognizant of but I but yeah like when you get someone who comes in and this is going to be the next one I want to ask you about But people be like, oh, I've got like inactive glutes yeah, or something like that. And you're like, what do you like? Where did you like, where'd you hear that? And they're like, oh, like a physio told me years ago. Yeah, yeah. And it'll be like, squeeze your glutes for me. Yeah. And then they squeeze and you're like, man, your, your glutes feel yeah. like pretty strong. Like, yeah. you know, I could feel the muscle contract. I don't know. Yeah. But, they're, but, you, but they're like, man, that person's been carrying that narrative or yeah. that label since the physio said you got inactive glutes. 100%. Tell me about that. Is that bullshit? I reckon I see that at least once a week, if not like a lot more, that like someone will come in, they've got, it's also really common with knee pain, they'll be like, it's because my glutes don't fire. It's like, and you can't be like rude and you've got to delicately approach the subject because you can't go, that's just ridiculous. (laughs) You a fucking idiot. Yeah, yeah, like (laughs) your glutes don't fire, like you wouldn't be able to walk. Like if your glutes didn't work, you could not stand up, right? Right, Like it'd be impossible. Like you'd have no base of support to a certain degree. Um, But um, I think sometimes that comes from I guess a product of the times because I think like and it happens in fitness in general right people get like 
etched into something and they like the newest thing is doing x you know um i'm trying to think of a the glutes is the best example of it where like i reckon it was probably 15 20 years ago might have even been longer than that before that okay i was not obviously in the game at that sort of stage that like this became the thing to say that your glutes don't fire and it could be the answer to your back pain and it could be the answer to your knee pain because like anecdotally you're saying if you strengthened your glutes like some of that stuff went away which is definitely true but it's not that they're not firing right if they're not firing as you said, like you wouldn't be able to squeeze your, your butt cheeks together. Yeah. Um, but I reckon that they say that because again, it's another thing for the patient easily to identify. If you say your glutes don't fire, then they go, I've just got to work on my glutes. And you essentially achieve your goal as a physio because you get them to work on your glutes, but you don't realize the effect that that maybe might have 10 years down the track when their knee pain comes back. It's like, oh, it's my glutes that haven't been fired for the whole 10 years. It's like, no, your knee pain's back because you just started running for the first time in 10 years again. That sort of makes sense. It so, does. Um, yeah, I definitely... But again, to go back to where I was saying, like you've got to be delicate on it, right? Because you can't like go, that's just absolutely ridiculous. And they might actually have really liked their physio or their PT, whoever told them that, right? And they've just not seen them anymore because of life. They've changed where they live or something like that. And if you sort of say that they've been like seeing you, right? And you said this, right? You've Joey's gone crazy on the glutes don't fire stuff. But that that person really like bonded with you and like they believed, it, believed everything you said. If I then as the next f person that treats them come in and say, goes, no, Joey's an idiot, that doesn't work. They're gonna believe Joey because I'm only, I've only known them for 15 minutes, right? And they're gonna go, well, this guy doesn't know anything. Joey last time said my glutes didn't fire and then my knee pain went away. And now just because lifestyles changed, I'm not with Joey anymore. And so I don't get to work on my glutes as much he must have been right. Like this new physio is just a, Joey told me to get a divorce. I got a divorce. Yeah, My life is, exactly. Joey knows what's up. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so you've got to be delicate on it because if you sort of just like push them to the side and say like, you know, that's stupid. This is what you need to do. They're not, they're not going to buy in. And if you don't get the buy in, then you're not going to fix them. And ultimately you need to, should want to fix them. So you, you got to be diplomatic in that circumstance. Yeah, and, and you sort of slowly get it into oh, it. I could like, see what they were getting at. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He might have just said that because, yeah, I guess when you stand on a single leg, like you sort of have a tendency to lean in or whatever it may be that sort of like that you can sort of rationale why they sort of said that. But yeah, sort of, yeah, go like definitely you can strengthen it. And that goes back to that sort of car phrase story about that guy saying, you could do 30 calf raises. Can I do, can I keep working on them or is, is, is the job done? Same with your glutes, right? Like if you get stronger glutes, it's going to be a better base of support for your back. Like I don't think there'd be any evidence to suggest if you got a stronger bum, your back or your knee won't feel better. Like it should just naturally feel better, right? So I like when someone presents to me a piece of information from their previous trainer or from their doctor or something yeah. that I find questionable like that. Yeah. My question before I comment on it will be, how do you like that like physio what, yeah. do, you, what do you think of them and yeah. if they're like oh i don't know him i just my friend you know and i'll be like he's a shit cunt yeah yeah but if they're like oh he's great like you know i've been seeing him for years my like, okay cool well hey maybe we could look at it in a different light 100 percent what i do <laughs> right like 100 percent what i do you have to do it like that right yeah. because again whether it's a pt or physio you need buy-in you need them to trust you and you need them not necessarily, you need them to come back if you're actually going to make a, a change for most times, unless they're going on doing a program by themselves. But then they still need the buy-in to keep up with the program because if they don't buy in, they'll they'll pay for your program and then just not do it. That's right. Yeah. All right. So, so crappy term. So, okay. We so label it crappy term as well. Crappy term. What about this one? This is one I got when I was like, uh, I was pretty young. I must maybe 18 or 19. Yeah. And I can't remember why. 
I had a couple of hernia operations when I was around that age. Sort of sports, sort of like hernia? Like nah, I worked in a, um, I worked in a fish shop, yeah. like a seafood store for yeah. like three years and we used to lift big. Yeah, okay. And I was, I was pretty, I mean, I was skinny as a, as a, I was skinny until I was about 30. Yeah, okay. And so like I, and yeah, and I just, uh, you know, I'd lift these heavy tubs full of ice and shit. Yeah. And I think I just tore it, like I'm in, in yeah, yeah. hernia doing that. Um, and then I had it fixed and then it came back and then I had to you know, get it done again. But um, I remember seeing a physio and he was like, oh, let me do some tests on your core. And he was like trying to get me to activate deeper levels of my core. Yeah, yeah. And he was like, oh, your core, like your deeper levels of your core aren't working like your yeah. super. And I was like, shit. And he's like, I run this special class. It's this thing yeah. that I do two nights a week. Yeah. It's here and it's, and uh, you know, it's like a hundred. And I was like, oh, I can't afford that. And yeah. I was like, no, but I went away from years and I'm like, man, I got like a dysfunctional core. Yeah, like yeah. my core's fucked. Yeah. And then, I mean, I haven't thought about it for a long time, but it just popped up while yeah, we are yeah. chatting today. And I, I'm like, I think I've got a pretty strong core. Yeah, I'd say so. What do you, is there truth in that? Let me ask you this first to go back at you. What do you think of that physio? <laughs> are you friends with him? Like, Shit cunt. Yeah, <laughs> well, that would be the answer. Like, now nah, they've done tons of like studies on that as well. Like, and basically we can't, there's even a, like a study that basically says we can't even palpate what we think we're palpating. And by palpate, I mean touch a muscle we think we're touching a lot of the times. Like, and no, I'm talking the more superficial muscles. Because, right, because you can't access it? No, or? more that you, you think you're touching the right spot and like it's the wrong spot, okay? Right. And these are for like the smaller muscles we're talking about. Like, I'm not talking about your quad. If you, if as, <laughs> as a physio, if you don't know what quad you're touching, then you've got, a, you've got an issue there. But like the really sort of small muscles. So to say a muscle like your transverse abdominis, which I'm assuming he's talking about, which is essentially for uh, the players at home, like the, the muscle that attaches onto your spine and is really deep. It is a couple of layers of muscle deep. So I'm not touching it. Right. Put it that way is, yeah. the, is the quick answer to that. So no, we can't sort of assess whether your deep core is switching on. In saying that, if you get an ultrasound, you can see whether it's switching on for right. sure. So my wife's sort of moving into women's health physio, like pre and postnatal sort of stuff. So we've just like recently bought an ultrasound. It's not a ultrasound like you might have gone to an old physio where they ultrasound you, like they wave this like wand over you that's like a bit hot and they say it's like breaking down muscle adhesions, which coincidentally all been disproven. <laughs> uh, this is like an ultrasound that basically you can see the muscles moving. So you rub it over there. If anyone's ever had a kid, they use an ultrasound to basically see like where the baby is and everything like that. So yep. it's essentially the same thing as that. Okay. okay. And so she can place that on your stomach you got a screen onto our computer, like it relates to the computer, and then you can say switch on your abs and you can actually see the different layers of muscles and as they switch on. So that's the way, if you're gonna be serious about it, if it's gonna actually tell you if you're switching on those deep abs. So okay. magic hands are not a thing, as much as I like to say I've got magic hands. Yeah, right, so maybe a bit of a- Creative <laughs> license. Bit of bullshit there. Yeah, yeah okay, yeah. fair. Um, Less on that kind of, and this couple sort of coming to the end here, I wanted to just throw a couple of rapid fire, yeah, like yeah, yay or nay sort of thing. Um, Anti-inflammatories. Yeah. Here's, here's the thing. Personally, uh, cer certain circumstances, when I'm getting pain from an injury, yeah. I can have anti-inflams and I can sleep and then like it helps. Yeah. It helps generally. Um, like I don't live on them, but there's yeah. been time, particularly like with my post-surgery, yeah, yeah. they give you some really strong ones. And I'm like, man, those things fucking saved me yeah, plenty yeah, yeah. of times during that. But then we also know that the inflammation process is the healing process yeah. and it's important. So then there's people like, no, never fuck with anti-inflammatories because yeah. you're just cutting that process short. Yeah. Talk to me about that. Um, so 
anti-inflammatories on like big like gross injuries i reckon are like really good so like and time what timing is also really important so say acl surgery right like you've got a huge knee right like you've just had someone drill into your knee cut a piece of your hamstring or patella tendon stick it in a place that doesn't belong so your knee is huge at that stage we need to manage the swelling right like no one in their right mind's going to say like you should just let the swelling be all right you've got to get it out because the swelling is blood coming into the area and so what we want to do is we want to get the blood out of there and get the blood back in there so we don't want to get rid of the we do want to get rid of the swelling obviously eventually and it's, it's going to go back like yeah it's going to move in and out right yeah. so like i think in that sort of stage like anti-inflammatory is going to help with that because it'll get rid of some of the inflammation then the inflammation will come back and you sort of want to wash it out because like the blood brings in the good stuff takes away the bad stuff okay yep. so you need that to sort of happen in those really big gross injuries if you just have a really big swollen knee for much longer it means you're not going to be able to straighten it which is super important as you'd know in a, in an acl rehab um and so like there is some probably some benefits from doing it in like a, a lower back pain sort of patient some people like find great relief in it so I often say to people, if it's not going to do harm, which it's not going to do, if you get a sore back like you just did, you know, you did a, you're 50 years old, you don't have to be 50, I guess, did tons of gardening and your back's just feeling like, geez, it's just a little bit jacked up. You take an anti-inflammatory, makes you feel better, happy days. Whether it's purely physiological, like the anti-inflammatory working, or whether it's psychological, you yep. just go and I had a tablet and now I feel better. Yep. Who knows if it makes you feel better. So often when people ask me like whether they should do something and it might be something like a trigger ball or a trigger ball exercise or a stretch um and they go like you know can i do this the answer is does it make you feel better yeah it does and then in my head i'm thinking is this counterproductive is this actually going to make you feel worse like is this like bad for you and if the answer is no then i say go do it like if it makes you feel better we've got to let people make themselves feel better right so in that sort of like back pain in that situation, I think it'd be again, totally fine, right? It makes the person feel better. So who am I to say, don't take the tablet and feel worse? Surely there's an upper limit to that where yeah. it's like, don't pump them every day. Yeah, exactly. And that's what you sort of say to them too. And like, you know, especially with anti-inflammatories, watch out for like stuff because it can affect people's guts. So have it with food, little uh, yep. things like that. Um, and then in terms of like, say an acute ankle sprain though, They've actually, again, done some study on that and found that you shouldn't probably have it in the first 48 to 72 hours because it will affect that healing process that you need some inflammation. Right. So the original thing and like a hemi tear being something similar, like say if you tear your hemi, don't take the anti-inflammatory straight away because you need that healing process straight away. But then yeah. if you maybe need it to help with like a little bit of pain relief because, you know, taking away some inflammation will inevitably or quite often take away some pain then you can sort of take it at that stage because at that stage it's probably not delaying your healing whereas if you take it two minutes for the next you know 24 hours after the injury it might actually delay your healing and like we're not talking that you're never going to heal but the whole idea of physio is we want you to heal quicker right like my job as a physio is not to heal you your body's going to heal itself my job is to guide you either with massage exercises advice to make that process instead of six weeks five weeks hopefully or something yeah. like that so um that's where we'd sort of give some advice around that so anti-inflammatories yes or no depending on the situation might be the answer to that one fair uh ice 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 is a good one right we've all we've all used ice right like yeah. it's always been a thing yeah but then now there's like nah the guy that the guy you know the the guy came out the guy that came up yeah, with yeah, the yeah. rising and he's like i fucked it all up yeah it same thing gets rid of the healing process yeah where does that stand? I reckon it sits on the same thing as the anti-inflammatory, right? Okay. Because the whole idea of ice is it's slowing down the 
you know, you're not letting it inflame, you're not letting blood come to the area and sort of do its thing, clear out the debris, take it all away. Yeah. Um, so if you're just like only icing and keeping it really still, yeah, maybe it will slow it down. But then you like, you know, you look at things like Wim Hof and all the other stuff and you've got the extremists again, <laughs> right? Like, you know, and they're, they're the saying- The king of the yeah, ice. Yeah, exactly. He's gonna, <laughs> he's gonna cure everything being in ice baths. And again, I think it comes down to like a little bit of common sense. Like if you're icing something that's like not really swollen, um, it's not really causing you much pain. It's like, why are you icing it? Like, you know, it's probably not even doing anything if you are. But again, at the same time, if you've just rolled your ankle and you're in so much agony and you just put a bit of ice on there and it just like numbs it a little bit, it makes you feel better. And you're not an elite athlete trying to get back on the park. Like, why wouldn't you do something that makes you feel better? Like, um, I think- And that's an analgesic effect. Yeah, exactly. Reduces pain. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes that's all people want, right? Like they're not concerned about being able to run a marathon. They just want like their ankle to feel better. Like at this very moment, if that makes sense. But I think the- there's obviously evidence still out on it all, right? Like, you know, you, as you said, like the guy's coming out, it's not the thing to do. Yet you see a footy player on the weekend that just rolled his ankle covered in ice, right? Yeah. Like as he's sort of exiting. You and I, I, I used a bunch of ice after surgery and it, it was saving me on a daily basis. That's what I mean. So I yeah. think again, like if we go back to passing the pub test, like I think if it passed the pub test and you go, that's not going to cause Joey like any like long-term damage, but it's giving him some short-term relief hundred percent to it if it helps get rid of that inflammation and then you like you do your physio exercises your heel slides your your knee extensions or whatever they are and then like yeah it swells back up again hey maybe that's the good blood coming in there and taking it back out afterwards and then you ice it again so i think the key for most injuries that have like a big load of inflammation which is where you're going to use either ice or anti-inflammatories is you nearly want to see that ebb and flow of like bigger smaller bigger small because it's like bringing the good stuff in taking the bad stuff out as long as when it's getting bigger it's not because you're hurting it every time you're doing your exercises or something like that yep so i i still ice if i like if i rolled my ankle and like it was like huge i'd still ice it and then i just keep it moving afterwards afterwards and uh yeah that's where i sort of sit on it so it's good it's a very rational moderate uh, opinion there i Nick. think that's it right like as i said like somewhere in the middle is normally the answer i like okay. it Mate, um, I appreciate this conversation we had today. Yeah, it's been good. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, I think there's a lot, a lot more I'd like to go into. I, I thought it'd be cool to um, chat on uh, like common injuries and like common mistakes that you see yeah. kind of mechanically and stuff, but we can save that for another day. Yeah, a milestone Tom, episode. Yeah, that's right, bro. Two <laughs> hungy, book it in. I'll bring the coffee. Um, where can people find you? Tell us, like plug your business, plug your Instagram stuff. So if they want to get in touch they can find you yeah so we're located out of Maroubra like being a physio like you can always obviously contact us if you're you know not in the area too but like most people that see us obviously are in and around the area so we're in Maroubra um, in Sydney um, active rx physio uh, so just like the word active and then rx and then physio all one word at uh, at uh, is the Instagram handle um, and yeah I guess like if you follow that you or you pop onto the Facebook you can always get in contact with us there it's just activerxphysio.com.au if you sort of want to go on the on the website check us out want to book an appointment it's all on all on there right awesome too easy and fam uh, I mean I don't know how many people I've told to come and see you over the years but I vouch for you yeah you do vouch we cut from the same cloth my guy I love it thanks bro too easy my man fam guys thank you for listening Uh, if you enjoyed today's episode please share it with a friend pass it on particularly someone who might be injured or seems to be injured all the time. They could probably benefit from hearing that chat. We'll see you next week. Cheers.